All right. Now, this morning, I went into my office at the church. Did you guys know I have an office? So I'm official. I'm officially a white-collar worker. I have an office. And I found this, uh, this thing that someone mailed me uh, this week. It's, it's a promo for a conference, for a youth conference. And a, a statistic jumped out to me that I want to read to you. It says six out of seven youth group graduates say their youth groups did not prepare them for taking their faith to college. So I saw that and I thought about this series. It says six out of seven uh, youth group graduates um, don't believe their youth group prepared them for college. And I began to think about the series that we're doing right now on doubt and unbelief and how uh, relevant this, these topics are because um, I really want this to kind of be like almost like a college prep thing. That sounds like it's really boring, but um, I want to inspire your faith. I want to inspire your walk with Christ. And so... Um, Today we're transitioning this series, we, we, we did call the series Why We Don't Believe. Uh, today's title is called Why We Should Believe. And we'll spend the next uh, few weeks discussing the reasons for belief. Uh, we've spent the last uh, couple of weeks talking about just various issues that people have with the faith. And uh, go to the next slide, I'll show you what these questions have addressed so far, what these questions are. And what I want to do is just real quick survey. Um, I'll read each one off. And I want you to raise your hand if that particular one is an issue for you, okay? And so, as I read each one of them off, just by show of hands, has, has any one of these ever been an issue for you as we read each one of them off? Okay, so the first one we discussed was, there can't be just one true religion. Just show your hands if that's ever been an issue for you. Just that, just that thought of that possibility. You can be bold, guys. Don't raise your hand like this, alright? You were like, um... Um, yes, I'm raising my hand. Raise it high. Be proud about your doubt. It's okay. Uh, so this, okay, how about the second one? How can a good God allow suffering? Raise your hand. A few more people. Christianity is a straitjacket. Constricting, restraining. Raise your hand. Like, I can't. My hand's restrained. Um, yes, Becca. Okay, the church. I'm calling you out. The church is all jacked up. All messed up. All right, how about, how can a loving God send people to hell? <clears throat> so everyone else is just like, I have no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> evil. You people are evil. All right, science has disproved Christianity. Ever been an issue for you? A few of you. Last one. Is the Bible really true? Is it really true? Okay. So who raised their hand on every single one? Anybody? Four out of six? Hey, four out of six is not bad at all. That's not bad at all. So we discussed we have discussed these questions the last few weeks. And so today, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter one. <clears throat> Romans chapter one, verse eighteen. And I think I have discussed Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20 about three times in the last month, either on Wednesdays or Sundays. But, uh, but here's what Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 20 says. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. You've got three questions about this passage at your tables. Go ahead and discuss those first three questions at your tables. Okay, I love this passage because it says a lot of really good things, uh, but we'll focus on just one of those things uh, this morning, but it does say some really good things. This passage has some serious, profound truth in it. It says that, uh, the, that sin, evil, and wickedness actually suppresses the truth about God. And what that means is, is that sin actually holds down or keeps secret the truth about who God is. So this is why whenever sin and evil happens somewhere in the world, wickedness, people ask the question, well, where's God? How can God let this happen? How can there be a good God that allowed this to happen? Because this verse is saying that, that sin and wickedness actually keeps the truth of God at bay. Where people can't really see the truth about God because wickedness, sin, evil seems to hide the truth about God. It's also true that if you've met someone who is just not a Christian, they're just walking uh, in sinful ways, they're in total idolatry against God, that someone who's in that kind of lifestyle, um, if you speak the truth to them as plain as you possibly can, there are people that look at you with a blank stare and they're like, I don't believe that. I don't get that. Because in their life, sin and wickedness is keeping the truth of God in the dark and they can't see who he is so that's one truth this this passage points out to us but this this passage also says that by looking at creation there are certain things we can know about God and so today we're going to call these things clues clues about God and so um, if you can think of it this way uh, anybody here like like watching detective shows or Law and Order CSI um Clues, clues. That's kind of like what I'm talking about, but not really. And I only know what blues clues is because I have a son who's three and a half. Not sure why Jacob knows what that is. You watch it. You watch it. But at the very least, <laughs> man, I love whenever I ask a simple question, you're like, oh my gosh, I love you, but. Um, so these clues. Now you can, uh, if you love watching shows like that, like I do, those shows you can watch them all day. It doesn't matter. They're just very, very entertaining. But here's what happens with an investigator: an investigator rarely finds a piece of evidence that is just the airtight proof for a case. They normally have to find several clues, and all those things woven together make a strong, strong case for for what they're trying to prove or not prove. And so we're calling this clues for God. Now, clues are different than proof because I'll say something that might surprise you today. I don't think it's possible to completely and totally prove God or Christianity. It's, it's not. You, you can't totally prove it. Right? It does require some faith. 
And some of you are thinking like, what? You pastor said you can't prove that God exists? You can't totally prove it? That's what I just said, okay? You can't totally scientifically prove that God exists and that Christianity is true. It does require some faith. But you can't prove a lot of things in, in this life. You can't prove much of what science claims to prove, right? So I say that statement, but I want you to know there are some clues that Romans 1.18 says that we can look for in, in creation that give us a clue as to who God is and what He is like. And so I'm going to cover like seven or eight of these things today just briefly. Uh, the first clue is simple. The clue of creation. The clue of creation. Simply put, why are we here? Why is there something instead of nothing? Ever had that thought before? Ever had the thought, like, why, how, how in the world do we possibly get here, right? Why are we here? Um, if you think about it, the fact that you and I are even here is pretty remarkable, isn't it? When you really think about the people who, um, who doubt and have questions about uh, why we're here and so on, the purpose of man, the purpose of life, um, and they'll say things like, yeah, I don't believe in miracles. I don't think miracles could have happened. Uh, and you're sitting there going, the fact that we are even here is a miracle. The fact that we are standing right now, you guys are sitting, I'm standing, that, we're, that we are standing on a little speck of dust in the Milky Way galaxy is pretty remarkable. Is it not? That by itself is a miracle. And we want to sit there and go, yeah, parting of the Red Sea. I mean, that just couldn't have happened, you know. That's ridiculous. And like, we're here. That's a miracle. Just by itself. Um, there's a guy uh, that said this next quote. And this guy, we'll see two quotes by him. And his name is Francis Collins. He's a scientist, an unbelieving scientist. And that's just a great name, Francis, right? If you're, if you're a guy and your name is Francis, you're destined for nerdy greatness, okay? Seriously. Seriously. Uh, anybody here named Francis? Just trying to make sure. Okay. That's why we call him Anthony. That's why we call him Anthony instead. All right, look at this quote. It says, we have this very solid conclusion. This guy's an atheist and an evolutionist, so listen to this quote. We have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. Fifteen billion years ago, the universe began with an unimaginable bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. I can't imagine how nature, in this case, the universe, could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that had to be outside of nature. This guy's an evolutionist, an atheist, and even he is saying that someone, not something, someone had to start this. Even he says this. Next clue. The clue of the cosmos. I need some water. Otherwise, I come armed with water now. The clue of the cosmos. Basically, this is uh, this idea. That it seems like the earth, the way it's set up, was expecting us to show up. Everything is in place for life, obviously, here. Uh, in order for life to exist, there has to be such precision. You guys have heard those, I'm not sure if they're true or not, but those, those statements like, you know, if we were like one inch away further from the sun, we'd freeze to death. And if we were one inch closer, we'd all burn alive, you know. 
I'm not sure if it's true or not. It might be. It might not. I don't know. But um, but it's interesting to think about. And uh, but here's the deal. On a more serious note, these scientists actually talk about this idea of precision and how precise things are. And it seems like the Earth was expecting us to be here, like it wasn't just by chance. Um, this is why search for life on other planets is so intriguing to me, because they're, they're flying, trying to fly to Mars, trying to find other places to see if we can see life there. And we realize how exact things have to be on Earth for you and I to live here. And for you to not explode, okay? Precision. Now, this guy, Francis Collins, says this next statement. This one sounds a lot more nerdy than the first one I just wrote, read. So, um, uh, here's, here's this next statement. He says this. When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants. I have no idea what that means. The gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc., that have precise values. If any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, whatever that means, million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. This guy Francis is smart, isn't he? So if you think about this, everything around us has design. Everything around us has order and purpose. Um, my interns and I were discussing this this morning, and we had this thought. Uh, do you guys have any idea why you have eyebrows? Any idea? Okay, why? Just tell me why. They don't know. Jacob knows. Exactly. Exactly. Okay? Listen, 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 listen. Have you ever been doing something athletic and you go like this and there's like tons of sweat in your eyebrow? Okay? Now listen, I challenge you, Anthony Garcia. Go home tonight, shave your eyebrows, then go for a jog. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. You'll be thankful for the eyebrows that God gave you on your forehead, my friend. I promise you that. I promise you that. Now, if you do this tonight, Anthony, don't tell your parents that I told you to do it. Tell them that someone else did, please. But I'm serious. Everything, everything that we have, like even fingernails. Have you ever, like, like broken a nail and tried to pick something up? You can't do it. You're like, you're like doing this number, okay? It's really, really difficult. Every single thing that we have as part of us, it seems like, was put there for a reason, by, by design, okay? You have eyebrows, so you don't have to wear a sweatband around your head like Will Ferrell in all of his movies, okay? Seriously. That's why you have eyebrows. Believe me. Trust me on this. So everything seems to have design and, and, and a purpose for it, okay? Um, the, the third clue. The clue of nature's laws. The clue of nature's laws. Let me ask you a question. What temperature does water boil? Y'all don't know anything. What temperature does water boil? 212 degrees Fahrenheit. I had some guy like up here spouting out Celsius. I'm like, I don't know what that is, Celsius. Um, this is America, buddy. Fahrenheit rules in America. We're not in Europe. <coughs> so... 212 Fahrenheit. Now, let me ask you this. What temperature will it be tomorrow? 
212. You guys are smart, okay? What about the next day? 212, again, okay? All right, here's my point. These things never change. There are certain laws of nature that never change, right? And listen, you guys take this for granted, but this is really cool to think about. We're in this, this crazy universe with things moving around all the time, and somehow, some way, all these constants that we have on Earth never change. Like, it, the water boils at 2.12 today, 2.12 tomorrow, 2.12 the next day. That's the way it's been for years and years and years, you know? You don't wake up and you're like, oh, dang it, 300 degrees today. Man, turn this thing up, you know? You don't do that. Um, same is true of gravity. Uh, my my uh, son, who's three and a half, likes to play what we call the jump game, where he um, he stands on the uh, the footrest of our, of our sofa, it's real bouncy, and so um, I'll, I'll kind of bounce him up and down, like throw him up in the air, and then catch him, and throw him up again and catch him. And um, every single time I do this, the same thing happens. He actually comes down. And, uh, I mean, imagine, imagine if we live in a world where that didn't always happen, right? Where he, like, goes up into the ceiling one time. And if we lived in a world that didn't have constants and rules and laws of nature, that would happen all the time to you guys. Walking down the street, you start floating up in the middle of the air, right? You're just like, oh, man, it's going to be one of those days again. Okay, I see. Right? So that's what could happen. And and you, you don't realize this, but someone has to hold these things together. With as much as our universe changes and, and things change, they're, they're fluid, as much as it changes, someone has to be holding these things together. Now, uh, fourthly, the clue of beauty. And the guys are like, oh, this is going to get good. The clue of beauty. The clue of beauty. Next slide, please. The clue of beauty. Here's the, uh, the, and I mean like not just people, but I mean like uh, just nature, music, um, vacation places, beaches. Uh, Here's the question. How do you and I know to call anything beautiful? You're not taught that. No one teaches you like, like you don't, you, you don't grow up as a, as a, you know, when you're 10 years old, you don't, you don't say, no one says to you, uh, okay, the garbage dump, that's not beautiful. This beach is beautiful. Okay, just so you know, right? No one teaches you that. You just, you just know. You, you know what beauty is, right? And, and so for some people, uh, when you look at um, those calendars that you get in the mail that have, like, beautiful nature scenes and all that, they don't put, like, landfills on those calendar photos, Right? Because we all agree that's ugly, okay? But someone here is going to be like, that's a great idea. Landfills on calendars. That'll sell like crazy. Yeah, recycling calendar. Yes, reminding people how to recycle. That'd be a great idea. You should do that. You should totally do that. But listen, it's, this is true of everything. Like you and I, um, you get in the car, you turn on a song that you like, and why is that song beautiful? It just, it just is. It just is, okay? Because here's the deal. Here's what I think God is trying to do when it comes to beauty. See, something in us stands in awe. Whenever you stand before, like, the Grand Canyon or a massive waterfall, something in us stands in awe of that and are humbled by it. Now, what if someone said to you, what if you said to someone else, well, that's beautiful, and your best friend says, prove it. 
on what basis do you call that beautiful? You're, you're like, you're an idiot. Why are you talking to me right now? Prove it? How do I prove beauty? It just is, right? This is a new one. This is a new one. You're beautiful. All of you guys are beautiful. All of you. So listen. Someone said, prove it. You'd be like, I can't argue with that. It's just, it's, just, it's just beautiful, right? Because here's the deal. There's something about beauty that is truthful. There's something that resonates with us, that we all kind of agree on, collectively, that agrees that, that there's such a thing as beauty. That's placed in us by God. Now, here's what I think God is doing in that. What if God wants us to stand in awe of His creation and all of its beauty? So we would stand in awe of Him. What if that's why God has beauty? What, what, if, what if that's why God has done what He's done? Because He wants us to stand in awe of who He is. It's pointing to Him. Romans 1.18 says, Everything points to who God is. So the question is, what about beauty? God wants us to stand in awe of who He is. Nature's not just here just for the sake of us to make a calendar. Right? It's to point to who He is. Fifthly, the clue of love. The clue of love. The Bible says that uh, we love because He first loved us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says that um, we love because He first loved us. This is why, listen up, this is why when you love someone, it's like your heart gets caught up. At least for the girls. Your heart gets caught up. I'm not speaking for the guys. I'm just saying the guys here, y'all haven't figured that out yet Okay, for you guys, all right? So, but this is why when you fall in love with someone, it's like your heart gets caught up in that relationship. It seems divine because it is. It's given to us by God. Now, if there is no God, then what is love? I knew you'd start saying that. That's why I said it like that, so you would start saying that. Yes. Man, you were on it. You were so quick. Wow. That's amazing. This wasn't even planned. It was just like he started playing it. That was like, you're like a serious DJ back there. That's awesome. Wow. So, if there is no God, then what is love? Seriously. Baby, don't hurt me anymore. Blah, 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 blah. No, that's my rap voice. Uh, it's pretty bad, huh? Okay. So, if there is no... Listen up. If there is no God, listen up. If there is no God, then this thing that you and I call love, if there is no God, this thing we call love is nothing more than cells just firing off in your brain, right? There's nothing more. It's just it's just cells just reacting. That's all it is. If there's no God, that's all we can call it. Okay. Now imagine if you got a Valentine's Day card that instead of saying I love you, it said this. When I am in near proximity to you, there is a biochemical response in my brain. The girl would be like, Ditto. I feel the same way. Right? You would never... That's not love, right? Because there's something... Listen up. There's something in us that says we are a lot more than just chemicals and cells. Something in us says there's more to us than that. We have a soul, we have a personality. That love goes beyond all that. There's something beyond all that. Now, listen. 
Listen to this. If there is something in us that we can't see, but we know is there, love, why can't there be someone behind all of this that we can't see, but know is there? If there's something in you and I called love that we can't see, but know is there, why can't there be a God, someone who's behind all this that we can't see and know is there? I would challenge you, if you have an atheistic friend and they say, yeah, I love that girl, I would say, say say this to them, prove it. Prove it. How do you know you love her? How do you know? I don't know what song that is. But seriously, how how do you know you love her? Prove it to us, right? How come it's just not chemicals in your brain just reacting, right? So the clue, we have the clue of love. The clue of desire. Clue of desire. Now this one, uh, here's the question. If there is no God, then why do we desire one? If there is no God, then why is every culture somewhat religious? Now, I know there's atheists in every culture, but here's the deal. There's never been a culture discovered that is not religious. There are individual atheists in those cultures, yes. But has there been a culture discovered where they're like, or if you walked up and you said, so what do you all believe? And they're like, we don't believe anything. We just, we just don't, we don't get into that, right? They never found one anywhere. Every culture worships something. Okay, so here's the question. If every human being has this desire for something outside of themselves, then does that desire not point to the reality of that being being there? Okay? Make sense? Follow me? Here, I'll say it this way. C.S. Lewis, a really, really smart guy who wrote a lot of books, said this. Hey, I'm trying. I'm trying real hard. Uh, he said this, If I find in myself desires nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I was not made for this world. What he's saying is that we have all kinds of desires on earth. We have a desire for food. You and I desire food every day. And guess what? There's food. There's food to meet that desire. We desire sleep. And guess what? There's sleep to meet that desire. We desire relationships. Guess what? There's relationships to meet that desire. His point was this. Everything that we have a desire for in this world, there is something there to fulfill that desire. Right? So, here's his point. If we desire something that nothing in this world can fulfill, isn't that a clue that that someone must exist? Otherwise, why would we ever ask the question, is there a God, if there isn't one? The next one. The clue of morality The clue of morality. Everyone believes that there is something wrong in the world. If you, were to, if you had an atheist friend, if you go to that friend and say, okay, tell me something that you think is wrong in the world, they, they would have a list to give you, right? But here's the question. If someone's an atheist, they don't believe there's a God, they shouldn't have that list. If there's no such thing as God, then what are our morals based on? That's the question, the clue of morality. So, there are people uh, that say there's no absolute truth. Uh, truth is something that you create for yourself. But that same person will admit that certain things are wrong. Right? Anybody who says that truth is relative, makes it up for yourself, 
um, there's no absolute truth. Anyone that says that, that person still believes there are certain things wrong with the world. And they will give you a list. So here's the question. How can you possibly say certain things are right and wrong if there is no God? Where does morality come from? Because if there is no God, on what basis do you call anything evil? Right? There's something in all of us that says there are certain things that are wrong, certain things that are right. And this points, I think, in a great way to a creator God. A creator God. Now, um, all these clues make the evidence, I think, for God overwhelming. Right? We haven't quite gotten to Jesus Christ yet. We'll cover that, of course, next week. But just the idea that there must be a God. There must be one. You cannot deny the the, the overwhelming evidence of those clues. Now, I'll say it this way. There is no other way of looking at the world that explains the things I just listed the way that I think Christianity explains them. Atheism has no argument for why these things are true. Ask an atheist why we have morals. I don't know. I guess they evolved. Why we have eyebrows. I guess they evolved. Right? Everything evolved. No purpose. No no reason. And so we have all these clues that I think point to a creator God. Now, um, we can know all these clues. We can know all this information. But for many people, there's still one thing standing in the way of belief. People can know all these clues, all this information, inside and out. But there's still one thing that keeps many people from belief. And it's this. In Roman, in Revelation, turn to Revelation chapter 9. Real quick. End your Bible. Revelation 9, verses 20 to 21. Revelation 9, 20 to 21. Here's what it says. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor do they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. Thefts. Now, this is describing the last days. Um, in the passage before this, an earlier part of Revelation 9, it talks about one-third of Earth's population being demolished. After seeing all of this destruction, after seeing all of this complete chaos, Revelation 9, 20, 21 says that they saw all of this, all these plagues, one-third of Earth's population just totally destroyed, and they still didn't repent. You see, we can have all the information, we can have all the clues for God, but in the end, one thing keeps many from belief, and it's sin. It's idolatry. You see, our problem is not a lack of knowledge or information, but ultimately it's a heart rebellion against God. You and I love sin more than Jesus. And so the question that you have to wrestle with is, is that you? Are you someone that you can hear all these arguments for God, but the one thing holding you back from coming to know Jesus and following Jesus with your entire life is it this? You just simply love sin more than you love Christ. And it comes down to that. You love your idols more than you love Christ. Those things are consuming you. 
In this passage it says these people are following after idols made with human hands out of wood, stone, clay. And the amazing thing is, these idols are just as lifeless as the people who worship them. You become like what you worship. If you worship dead things that can't give you life, then you yourself will have have an end to your life spiritually. You will die spiritually. I think most people, I said this at the beginning of our series, I think most people use these questions that we've put before you this morning, the questions of, of doubt. Many people put these questions, they sort of hide behind those questions. And those questions are kind of like a facade. They'll say things like, if you say, why do you not believe? They'll say, well, you know, you know, this happened in my family and it's really tragic and I just can't believe a good guy would allow that kind of thing to happen to me. It's just, I can't believe a good guy would allow suffering. They might say that. Or someone else might say, well, I just don't really understand how it is that you know, there's only one true religion. And so I just choose not to believe that. What I think is happening most of the time, though, is this. People are hiding behind those intellectual questions. The real issue is their sin. The real issue is the rebellion against God in their heart. And they're using those questions as a facade to keep the conversation at a distance. So the question you have to ask yourself, is that you? Is sin the thing keeping you from coming to know Christ and following Christ? We have two more questions to discuss at your tables to close out. And then what I want to do is have you guys pray just at your tables for each other and uh, discuss those last two questions and close in prayer. Once you've done that at your tables, you guys are dismissed. We love you guys and we'll see you guys at 2 o'clock if you're coming to the Men vs. Boys Tournament.